This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 880. What's going on, everyone? This is David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, joined today by Dave Meyer. It's always a good day when Meyer is in town. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing great. I'm excited for this episode, but I also think we owe our audience a little bit of a disclaimer because our guest today is also named David. So we're going to have Dave, David, and another David joining us. And we'll try and use our last names when we're talking during the podcast. But that's just a little disclaimer before everyone gets really confused. Yeah, it does get fun. In the Mighty Ducks, they had a move called the Triple Deke. And today's show is a bit of a Triple D with a lot of David going around. But it's a really good one. So if you're somebody who's ever been struggling with getting into the housing market as it's become increasingly competitive, curious about house hacking, want to know what's going on when you're getting pre-approved for a mortgage or qualified for mortgage or are not sure which lender you should be choosing. We get into all of those topics in depth and give a really good breakdown of what the lending industry looks like and how that can apply to real estate investing. Was there anything here, Dave? Oh, by the way, you've got a book releasing today, your start with strategy book. So let everybody know where they can go get that book. And then as your strategical mind looks through things, let us know what you think people should keep an eye out for in today's show. Well, first, I'll just talk about the show. So then I can talk about the book. Thank you. I appreciate it. But I do think, you know, what you were talking about with lending makes a lot of sense. And it's more practical and more important now than ever to really have your financing lined up because the number one thing that is impacting the housing market, that is impacting investors is affordability. And it's really important to understand what kind of deals you can afford, what kind of loan products are going to be best for your particular strategy. So definitely make sure to stay tuned and listen up for those nuggets that are going to be in there in our conversation today. But I appreciate you bringing that up, David. This episode will come out after the release date, but the day we're recording is the day my book comes out. It's called Start With Strategy, and it's basically a step-by-step guide to help investors of all experience levels develop a business plan or you know, an investing plan that will help you figure out what your specific goals are, what real estate strategies are going to help get you to those goals, and even develop a buy box and action plan to help you achieve your long-term financial dreams. So it's a really good book. I'm really proud of it. And if you want to check it out, you can go to biggerpockets.com slash strategy book. All right, let's bring in Dave Mackin. David Mackin, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. All right, to start the show, tell me a little bit about you as a lender. How big of a broker do you work for? Uh, we're actually a pretty small broker, uh, you know, mom and pop shop per se here in Colorado. We have about eight employees at this point working on growing and, and such, but uh, we uh, have about 70 investors that we're signed up and talking to. So um, yeah, super awesome being a broker. Love doing it. So are investors your main clientele or do you work with other people? Uh, I, I guess I should clarify when I say investors. I use that. That's a that's a term I should be careful with. Uh, different banks and financial entities that we can go to for uh, for funding. Um, and uh, that's what I mean by, uh, you know, investors that that clients can, uh, you know, shop around to to see what kind of pricing and, and uh, programs that they can use. So then who's your main clientele? Who are you typically servicing? Well, I got into it. Uh, Starting off with house hackers, of course. I started house hacking myself. And through speaking to my own lender when I started house hacking, um, I got super intrigued by the financial side of things. What intrigued me the most was that, um, you know, I think a lot of people go into the home buying process thinking, okay, I go to a bank, they tell me how much I can uh, buy, and then I go get a loan. Um, What piqued my interest was, 
wait, there's so many options, right? It's not just, okay, tell me what my monthly payment is, how much I need to bring to the table and, and let's get it. It was the, wow, there's so much to consider here on all the options I have. I wanted to learn more about that. Curiosity took me in the direction of uh, falling backwards into the mortgage space. David and David, can I call you Mackin? Can we just go by last name, guys? This is going to be very confusing if we all call each other David. Call me Mackin. I've been, I've been called Mackin my entire life. So you can go ahead and call me Mackin. All right, Mackin. You can call me Batman. Mackin, what we want to talk about today and are excited to get your take on is what it takes to afford a home and how much a person can afford. So can you just give us some of the basics of this equation? How do lenders think about how much they are willing to lend to an individual? The the high level I'll start with is that the way that a lot of real estate agents and lenders go about pre-approving in the first place leads into this. Um, a lot of times it'll say, you know, hey, you're pre-approved up to 500,000 or you're pre-approved up to 600,000. Uh, the way that I like to think about it is you're actually just pre-approved for a monthly payment, right? Everything about being pre-approved comes down to debt to income ratios and therefore comes down to what your monthly payment will be on a particular property. Um, and then when you go even further into it with house hackers, it's, you know, what numbers actually make sense, not necessarily just what you're approved up to, right? Um, if you're going to the the high end of the ratios, that property might not make sense for the potential for cash flow. Um, so there are so many things that go into it. It's the principal of your loan, the the interest on top of it, the insurance on the property, uh, the mortgage insurance you're getting for what product you choose, uh, the taxes, um, you know, all those things are going to go into what you can actually afford and actually get pre-approved for. So for our audience who doesn't have the full equation and breadth of knowledge to take each one of those things and, you know, come up with what house they can afford, where should they start thinking about it? Is it income? Is it the property? Like what is the the determining factor that people should be considering? I think it's a, a combination of one, their income and the finding a, a, a basic price point for what makes sense for them, right? Um, there's a lot of rule of thumbs you can start with until you actually go work with a lender. And the rule of thumb for, you know, approval is going to be just around 50% of your, uh, of the, your debts plus what your housing payment is going to be, um, to your income. And that's a rule of thumb because it's a lot more specific than that, depending on what program you're going with right there. If you go FHA, you can go up to 56.99% on the back end, 46.99% on the front end, right? I'm already going too far there, right? So a good rule of thumb is to think, okay, take 50% of my gross income, by the way, when I'm looking at properties, doing my own calculations on what the monthly payment might be on that house, you know, that's what I'm going to be approved for. But then as a house hacker, you need to go further and understand, does that monthly payment warrant the potential for cash flow at some point, right? You know, David, one of the things that I notice with our brokerage is that people think that the credit score is what's going to determine how much money they get. Like there's an obsession with credit score. Everyone's like, I have great credit or I don't have great credit or I'm trying to get my credit up another four points. And there's all this effort looked at it, but debt to income ratio is a way bigger piece of how much you're going to be approved for and therefore what neighborhood you can get into. And that has a huge, huge impact and ramifications on the future wealth when you look back 20 years, if you buy into a terrible neighborhood versus a great up and coming neighborhood. And that's one of the things I covered pretty heavily in my book, Pillars of Wealth was debt to income ratios are based off of your debt and your income, right? Keeping your debt low and saving money, playing defense is very important. 
That's how ratios work. <laughs> yeah. And income is how much money you make. So you can just simplify everything by saying, how do I go to work every day and become better at my job and make more money? And how do I remain disciplined and avoid lifestyle creep by keeping my eyes on the prize, which is buying investment properties, which is the third pillar, right? And if you just follow those principles, I find it amazing that everything starts to fall into place. It also, you don't ever have to worry about your credit score because if you're managing your money well, you don't ever get yourself so into debt that you can't make your payments. What's your thoughts? on that. Well, and it's, and it, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you said that because there's also, you know, a lot of people that get into house hacking, look at, you know, conventional versus FHA. And if you end up looking at the FHA strategy, uh, FHA allows for credit scores in the, you know, mid 600s. If you're somebody that's starting at that point, you can look into the FHA option. And by the way, FHA is the option that allows for a higher debt to income ratio. So the credit score part of it more determines what option you may end up going with for a particular deal. Um, but like you said, if you are somebody that is, you know, in tune with personal finance in the first place, you know, uh, things take care of themselves, like you said, with credit score and, and things like that. Another common problem that I'll see is people think that if I go to lender A, They'll pre-approve me for this much, but if I go to lender B, they might pre-approve me for more. That's very, very rare because almost all of these loans eventually go to the same investor, like you said, that has hard and fast rules that are put in place because they're all insured by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, where the companies that aren't doing those loans, they use those guidelines to underwrite. Is that something that you've seen as well, that shopping to different lenders, it may be, you may get different service, they may have different loan programs, but you're not necessarily going to say, well, that one pre-approved me for a million, even though this one only pre-approved me for 500,000. That's a rabbit hole that we could, uh, that might be another episode on, you know, shopping different lenders and and why you might see um, different pre-approval amounts from the different lenders, but the end result, you're right, ends up being the same. You know, um, the I think it's important to shop multiple lenders for the sake of making sure you're working with someone that you that will help you plan for the future in your investments, and someone that you like talking to, and someone that knows what they're doing as far as helping you with the investment side of things. And you know, finding the right lender and shopping lenders to do so is smart in that way. But shopping just for the sake of uh, you know trying to get a bunch of lenders to to nickel and dime their way down to approve you for more quote unquote um, is a waste of time. All right, so we've covered some of the basics. We now know that the debt to income ratio is the most important thing lenders look at when figuring out how much they're willing to lend to you. And in that regard, it's actually more important than credit score. But how can you get the best possible rate? David Mackin breaks that down right after this. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24-7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Save's 60 day money back guarantee. 
Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rent to retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. I need to double check with Zach, rental retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? <laughs> it's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to rentoretirement.com today. And welcome back, everyone. We're here with lender David Mackin. Talk about the ins and outs of lending. When you think about the pre-approval process, like you said, for each individual debt investor, let's just call them the people who actually provide these mortgages, they have similar underwriting processes. But when it comes to rates, does that change? Because I've seen personally pretty different rates when I shop around between providers. There's a couple of different factors that go into why different investors are going to give you different rates, right? For one, you know, as a broker myself, and David Green knows this as having a broker shop himself, you're going to get different interest rates from all the different investors that you might or banks that you might send the loan to, right? Um, they have different equations and algorithms for what they need to make before they might sell it to another servicer. Um, you know, they have more employees maybe, and they need to make more on the upfront uh, interest to pay those employees to do their work, right? It all comes down to margins. And by the way, too, when you're working with different brokers, brokers have their own margins for commissions involved in the rate that you're seeing as well, too, and they can defer. So you're going to see different rates and what the cost for a rate is when you shop for different lenders, different mortgage brokers, as well as them actually going out and shopping to different banks and financial entities that are going to finance your your deal. Yep, that's a great point. So I think what you're getting at there, David, you, also, you said something earlier I wanted to cover. I think what you were saying is... 
Uh, there are lenders that will tell you, we will pre-approve you for this much to get your business. And then once you're in contract and they're actually talking to the underwriters, they're like, actually, it's not going to be that. There it is. And by that point, you're already halfway into the escrow. What are you going to do? You're just going to be pissed, but you close with them. So sometimes finding the person that tells you what you want to hear is not wise. It can be bad. And the same come with rates. Like in general, the lower rates are lower because the loan officer is going to be making less money or the brokerage makes less money. And while that no one's going to be mad about that, oh, I get a better rate because you make less money, you may find yourself working with a person who doesn't know what they're doing. They're new. They're inexperienced. They're going to mess things up. They communicate terribly. That same thing you found. You have to consider you know, how much is this person worth, right? Is this person, for, for investors especially, is this person worth the money because they're the person that's going to help me um, you know, buy multiple properties and build my portfolio. And I don't have to call another lender to do so. I have them on speed dial, right? Um, and typically, you know, you're gonna see that you know, you might find a middle ground where someone's, you know, offering really good rates and their service is incredible and what their knowledge is super incredible and great. That's the person you found and and stick with them. I just wanted to ask a clarifying question to you both because we t- we're talking about rates and the difference between rates and you both talked about something that's very important that getting a good loan officer is super important but from my understanding there's no reason why a good loan officer should have any higher rates right if so it's it's cost the same for an investor or a home buyer to work with a good loan officer as a less experienced or less high quality loan officer, right? It is different between lenders who you're working with. There is a margin. um, The amount that a loan officer is making on a loan actually factors into what you are being offered as far as rates. If a loan officer is making more, let's say, for example, you're looking at, you know, let's let's say the same rate across two lenders. You have 7% with one lender, 7% with the other. Maybe 7% is costing half a point with one lender and it's costing zero with another. That means that the lender that it costs half a point is making half a point more on the loan amount than the other lender where it doesn't cost anything. It's as simple as that. And so you as as a buyer, as a house hacker have to determine, is this person worth half a point to work with because this transaction is going to be smooth? They're coaching me on my future goals, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's where the difference really comes into play. Um, for most situations. Yeah, that's a great point. I, things, So I'm sure a lot of people here are wondering, why would I ever, ever want to pay a half point if I don't have to, right? My advice there, if you're a really easy borrower to work with, you have a good job, you have a good debt-to-income ratio, you're using r- normal run-of-the-mill loans, you're going to get approved. It's not going to be anything tricky. You probably don't need a, a rock star, superstar lender. Those are the people that can maybe find like the online click here for a 2.99 rate or whatever. And they can roll the dice on that gas station sushi and they got a strong GI track. So they're probably going to be okay. Right. But for the people that are listening that are buying investment properties that, that want to get multiple properties, maybe you're self-employed. That's the person that can find themselves in big trouble if they use the basic loan officer that's the cheapest one they could find that does not understand how to read those tax returns, how to argue the case with the lender for why this income should be included, or even how to package it together to give it to the underwriter. Like I'll tell you guys what goes on behind the curtains. A lot of the time when you hire the cheapest loan officer you can find, 
The reason your loan took three extra weeks to close is they did not know how to give the underwriter what they needed in the way they needed it. And every time the underwriter looks at it and says, I need this thing, you get bumped back in the queue another week. So would you agree that if somebody has goals of owning more than one property or they're an entrepreneur, anything that would complicate their file, that's when they want to get the, the more skilled professional loan officer? I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, in, in our market, uh, especially, you know, two, three years ago when the competition was super high, one of the biggest factors in going under contract was how quickly you could close, right? If you go and search an article on the internet and at the bottom it says apply now and you end up at you know some online lender that you don't even know who you're talking to, they're probably not going to be able to guarantee that you're going to be able to do a 14-day close, sometimes a 10-day close, right? Um, so in a market like that where there's a lot of competition, for your loan officer, your lender to call the listing agent and say, hey, we can get this done in 10 days, that sometimes is a make or break for being the one that actually goes under contract in a competitive environment. Um, and that just that means that you are going to be working with somebody that isn't just a salesperson, isn't just a you know intake at a call center. There's someone that knows what they're doing on the underwriting side, the processing side, the planning side. Um, you know, they understand all the options that are available to you. There is so much that goes into it. And typically that takes more time and knowledge. I love the um I can't remember where this quote is from, but it's like, I heard a story where someone was having a plumbing issue. All these people came in, they couldn't figure out what was going on. And then finally, they had this guy come in that was a, a master, right? Been doing it for a long time, comes in, spots it in a second, fixes it in 15 minutes and slaps a $500 bill down on the table. And they're like, wait, what the heck? You did 15 minutes of work. Why, why are you having me uh, pay $500? He said, you're paying me for the time it took for me to get all this knowledge. You're not paying me for the 15 minutes of work that I just did there. Right. And I think the the same thing uh, is true in any service industry and uh, especially in real estate. So on that point, one of the things that we do at our brokerage is we're sort of a coach. We are going to coach you through how the what the best loans would be and how you should pursue if you're trying to buy more properties. If you just want to buy one property, that's different than if you're looking to try to scale. If you're going to use the Burr method, if you're looking to house hack, if you're buying a second home, if you're getting into short-term rentals, there are different loan programs that work better for those. And sometimes you have to think ahead. Like once you got four of them, this isn't going to work. So do we have a plan to switch to something different? For you in the business that you're running, how is it you're coaching investors on purchasing properties? Do you talk them through the purchase and make recommendations? recommendations or are you more of the person who says you just tell me what you want and I'll go do what you say? Uh, that's a that's a great question. Uh the way that I go about coaching especially house hackers is here is every single option that you have, right? We're going to we're going to get on a screen share, we're going to get in person whatever and we're going to put every option that you have for this next purchase and future purchases on the screen and together through our conversation, we're going to break it down into the one that makes the most sense, right? And the reason we do that is because say, you know, right on paper, FHA makes sense. In our market, we're, we're a super high purchase price market, right? Cash flow is pretty hard to find in Colorado right now, right? And the enticing thing that people see is when they're looking at an FHA loan versus a conventional loan, typically it's about 10 grand more to go 5% down conventional um, with closing costs and everything, but the monthly payment is exactly the same as an FHA loan where you're putting 10 grand less at the closing table, right? And that's super enticing, but then someone has to take in the, into consideration, okay, I got this FHA loan. If I'm going to stay in the same market, then I'm not going to be able to use FHA on the next one, right? Maybe it makes more sense for them to go. They have, they're more, you know, they have more cash in hand now. Maybe they want to go conventional first and then be able to utilize FHA when they turn 
this property into an investment property and buy the next one as a primary, right? And so there's a, a lot to consider there. And I would say the the biggest struggle right now is that difference between FHA and conventional ever since FHA decreased their uh, factor on their mortgage insurance. It's a very enticing product now for a lot of people, but there's a lot to think about with the FHA one. All right. David has walked us through the debt to income ratio and interest rates, but what other variables should investors focus on? Stay tuned for more on that after this quick break. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes, and there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day, plus Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, to get six months of rent ready for $1. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop, one of the largest commercial real estate finance and advisory services firms in the nation. As an unparalleled leader in commercial real estate, CEO Willie Walker frequently appears as an expert on major platforms like CNBC and the New York Times. He's even been on the Bigger Pockets podcast network too. On the Walker webcast, you'll hear from guests like A-Rod, renowned economist Dr. Peter Linneman, and experts from Walker and Dunlop's capital markets, research, and investment sales groups. So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with insights for life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. And be sure to follow Walker and Dunlop on all your favorite social media channels too. That's walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. And we're back. David Green and I are here with our third David, lender David Mackin. Okay, so we've talked about the main thing about how much house you can afford being your income and the debt to income ratio. Obviously, rates matter where they are, market rates and what rates that you're getting offered by your loan officer. Mackin, are there any other variables that people should be considering when thinking through how much they can afford for an investment property? Definitely. The the other factor is going to be the insurance that you might get on the property the uh, and then the taxes on the property. Um, those are all going to be considered as part of the, the debt to, to income because that's going to be a part of your monthly payment, right? Um, you know, it's and it actually goes even further right now in in a in our state we had a reassessment period this year for taxes uh rather last year it's early january i keep doing that um and taxes went up you know 40 50 for a lot of people which is insane right and so they might be able to afford the house that they're in right now but when they get hit with that new tax bill and escrow reaches out for them uh to start increasing their contribution to their escrows all of a sudden they might be in hot water Right. And the same goes for anybody closing on a property before that, uh, you know, new tax bill takes effect because we pay taxes in the rears. Um, They may uh, be buying a property right now and the numbers make sense right now. And then very quickly, you know, that tax is going to go up and all of a sudden it changes their numbers completely. So much like we were talking about working with a good loan officer, working with someone that foresees that and says, here's what your taxes are probably going to look like in the future. Make sure the numbers make sense for those taxes right there. Right. Um, and then the insurance too, I'll speak on that real quick. Uh, you can choose different, you know, deductible amounts, things like that. You know, you could have a very low deductible, but your monthly contribution to your escrows for that insurance policy are going to be higher and may affect your affordability. So some people really just want to get into a house and may opt for a higher deductible on their insurance so that their monthly contribution is 
lower because that might be the make or break for them even getting into the house, right? So there's a lot to consider outside of just interest rate and what your principal balance on the loan is. That's great advice, David. I think it's something that doesn't get talked about a lot, especially for newbies. You just look at the price of the house, you look at interest rates, but there are these other costs. And particularly right now, as you mentioned, with insurance and taxes going up so much that will impact your affordability. I kind of think about states like Texas. I actually thought about investing there because the there's a lot of good fundamentals going on in those markets. But Texas has no state income tax, but their property taxes are super high. And it can actually really impact your debt to income ratio. It can impact your cash flow. And so that's something everyone should be thinking about when they're analyzing deals or approaching a loan officer to talk about what they can afford. Couldn't agree more. And if you're, you know, Dave, if you're someone that's investing from out of state and you're not in Texas, cool, there's no income tax, but that doesn't really change anything for you as an investor higher property taxes absolutely changes. Yeah, it actually works against you if you don't live in Texas, but you invest there because you're still paying the state income taxes like me in California that are high. And I'm paying higher property taxes when you go to Texas, right? So it is wise to be looking at different advantages. And on that topic, how you look at your investing will make a big difference on the choices that you make. So there are some people who think buying cheaper properties is inherently better. So buying a house for 500 instead of 550 is wise just because it's cheaper. But if you're a house hacker or if you're an investor, I don't think that the actual price of the house is what you should be looking at. What you want to be looking at is how much income does it bring in versus how much does it cost? We're back to that whole offense, defense, debt, income. So for instance, if you borrow another $50,000 to buy a property, at a 7% interest rate. So the house, you were going to buy one for 500 and said you buy one for 550. Your principal and interest on that extra 50 grand is about $333. But what if that extra, that house that has for $50,000 more has an extra bedroom that you can rent out for $700, right? In, in that scenario, the more expensive house is the smarter financial option, especially if it's in a better neighborhood and, and the price of all your bedrooms, they're all going to be raising. And so now not only are you getting an extra bedroom, but when rents rise, you have uh, the rents rising on an extra bedroom every single time. What's your thoughts on when you're working with house hackers, kind of creating that framework for them to be looking at this purchase through? I think it's working backwards, right? When you're looking at a particular property or you're looking at multiple properties, do a really good analysis on what you think you can make for rent and the strategy that you're going to use for making rents and work backwards with it. Okay, you know, I go to this property, it, maybe it's a five bedroom home, which, you know, you can find and I can rent out four of the bedrooms. And, you know, some houses in Colorado, you know, you can rent out those rooms for a thousand bucks, right? Okay, cool. I'm making, you know, four grand on this property. And in order for me to be cash flowing, then I need to go and make sure that the mortgage on this property is going to be less than and therefore cash flow. I mean, that's the simple equation of, of doing cash flow. I just think that it just needs to be worked backwards. And that's going to help you not waste your time going and seeing too many properties because you're analyzing the rents on it first as a house hacker, right? Your typical home buyer is going to go, okay, I want 30% of my income to be my housing expense. Cool. Simple, right? Um, it's a little bit more complicated for a house hacker, but not too complicated. Start with the rents, work backwards, see what the payment's going to be. What's your experience been like with the type of people that that are crossing your desk that, that are looking for real estate? Are you seeing more primary home buyers? Are you seeing more house hackers? I'm wondering because with rates going up, cash flow is getting a lot harder to find. So I'm wondering if you're seeing less investors and more creative approaches. I'm seeing in my market, 
is that house hacking is no longer investment only strategy. I actually think that for the new wave of home buyers, that house hacking is simply just the way to buy a home right now, especially in higher price markets. The word is out, everybody. You know, house hacking isn't, you know, just this secret sauce or anything like that. Um, I, I'm not sure people are necessarily knowing the term house hack, but they're going in and considering, you know, okay, I'm someone that is young. I already have roommates that I live with at, uh, you know, a rental property I rent myself. What if I can ask them to come and move with me into a house that I buy, rent out the other rooms, and I'm not paying nearly as much as I am right now in rent? You may still be paying something out of pocket, but I'm seeing more people that are your normal home buyers doing the house hacking method um, to simply just have a lower housing payment. That's it. One thing I want to call out about house hacking, though, is that I think sellers are catching on to this. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. But I'm seeing that sellers are pricing duplexes outside the realm of reason for a non-owner occupant. And so if you look at a duplex and the cash flow that it can generate or the rent to price ratio, they're getting a little bit outsized, at least in the markets that I've been looking at over the last couple of months. And I noticed that on the listings, all the listing agents specifically pitch them as house hacks because as you guys said you know the numbers work for house hackers but they don't work for investors and so that's good for a house hacker but it also means you might be paying up a little bit something interesting happened with multifamily homes recently and that was you know when when Fannie Mae came out and said you can put 5% down on multifamily that announcement alone increased the value of multifamily homes, in my opinion, right? I mean, all you did was increase demand, right? Uh, you brought more people interested in multifamilies because of that, right? And so I agree that there's a bit of a, I don't want to say bubble, but an overpricing on the the duplexes, the triplexes, the quadplexes. But if you go, you know, buy a a two one two one, right? You can find single family homes that are four bed two bath. Right. And you can rent out all the rooms and you'll probably cash flow more on just buying that single family home and not have to pay a premium because it's simply a duplex. A lot of people that I work with that start to analyze the multifamily start to realize really quickly that, you know, potential for increase in cash flow is not as likely as they thought it was. Right. And it depends on the property. But um, I do not blame the listing agents and the sellers on those multifamilies for marketing it that way and trying to get a higher price point. Of course, they're going to do that. Right. Um, that's a that's that's what their, their job is to do. Um, and so, and people will go buy it with that strategy in mind, but don't underestimate the single family home when there's a shiny element to a duplex or a triplex, right? Yeah. I remember as a kid that people who own duplexes, there was sort of some pity for them. Like, oh, you're poor. How sad. Too bad you can't, you can't buy a real house and you had to buy one of those like pretend houses. It was like, you, you know, you didn't have a motorcycle, you had a Vespa. It looks kind of like one, but we all know that that's not anything that anybody wants, right? The duplexes were the Vespas of the housing industry. And now they're the Ducatis. Like <laughs> everyone's fighting to get those duplexes. And I think that it's worth noting the reason that small multifamily is so popular is because housing's so damn expensive. When, when you really don't want to pay that full four grand a month and you can get a duplex or a triplex and take a big edge off of it, it makes a lot of sense. It's going to put them in demand that they're going to sell for more. But the reason that housing is so expensive is we don't have enough supply. 
things can change. If they figure out a way to incentivize home builders or technology improves to where 3D printing of houses becomes a thing that can happen all the time and boom, 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 housing just starts to go up all over the place. Those people that really wanted that duplex are going to find it's very difficult to sell. Because someone's going to say, why would I pay all that money for a tiny little duplex that's 90 years old when I could go buy the big, brand new, shiny house that just was 3D printed for half as much money? And as investors, we always have to be aware that uh, the trends change. And what is popular now may not be popular in the future. And what nobody wants right now might be something that people want in the future. But what doesn't change is financial responsibility. Making more money was always going to be a result of increasing your value to the marketplace. And that's going to encourage personal growth. And I'm here for it. And that's a, that's certainly a perspective thing too of uh, understanding where you're at and, and enjoying it as well. You know, uh, not everything is about what money can buy you. Um, it is about freedom, right? Um, it is about independence and, uh, you know, money, money goes, you know, when, when all is said and done and you die, but the, uh, the independence that it can give you, um, while you're still here is where the, where the value actually is. So I couldn't agree more with that. Dave Mackin, anything that you'd like to say before we get you out of here? One thing I will say is that anybody that, you know, may, may not be, uh, you know, buying a property right away, or they're really in the analysis period, or they're just interested in real estate. Um, if you, you know, have any inclination to get into real estate as a career. Um, that is something that is super powerful for me. Um, the, you know, you can buy deals and you can have as many deals as you know, you can, and you'll learn from all of those, but the opportunity to work with a lot of investors and go help them and be a part of their transactions, the knowledge that you gain from it is exponential as com as compared to just doing your own right and so um anybody that has any interest in, in it i would highly encourage getting into it um you know making sure that you can still qualify for homes when you get into it is another conversation that is the danger of it um so i will asterisk with that but uh if you're someone that can to, can has that time you know two years to uh to get into it and get 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 going um I would recommend it. But a good loan officer will help you find a way to make income and find loans that you can use whatever income you make to qualify as opposed to a mid one. So don't go mid. You heard us mention on the show, my book, Pillars of Wealth, How to Make, Save, and Invest Your Way to Financial Freedom. As And Dave has a book out as well, Start With Strategy. You can find both of our books at biggerpockets.com slash store. Mine, woo-woo. Yeah, today is the day. Right on. If you want to learn how to make and save enough money to buy a house, and then once you've got it, you're like, well, what should I do with this money? I need a strategy. Those are two books that you should go pick up. I'll let you guys get out of here. This is David Green for Dave, my Stratego Amigo Meyer, signing off. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? 
Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.